Amen. If I were to ask you, and or if uh, if there was one word or or a short phrase that you could use to describe what being a Christian means to you, what would it be? Or what would be our? I guess let me put it this way: If if I give you a sentence like and ask you to finish the sentence, and you guys got to talk to me today. Because I have Jesus, I blank, blank, blank. I have everything. Salvation. What else? Because I have Jesus. Let's go this section. Okay. Because I have Jesus, I, I have peace. What did you say? Same thing? Strength. All right. Let's this side now. Let's see. Because I have Jesus. Daniel. Come on, Timberview. <laughs> Joy, there you go. Because I have Jesus, I've, I'm saved. And I asked this question to some friends and they were, gave me answers. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. I get to spend eternity with him. Amen. I'm filled with Joy. Another one says, because I have Jesus, I have hope. Amen. I think that's what I would say. Because for me, again, it's not that one is right and the others are wrong. But I would say, because I have Jesus, I have hope. I have hope. For me, again, hope is such a key part of my life and who I am. Because, and whenever I think of hope, it's... Uh, or the hope I have in Christ, it's not just, it's the confidence I have in Him. It's the assurance I have in Him. And I've been singing the song this whole past week, and I'm going to ask Brother Dan to come and help me out here in a bit. It's this hymn that I love. It's really good. It's called Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Blessed Assurance. That's the hope we have. It's that assurance that we know, that we know, that we know who our God is and who I am to Him. Let's turn with me to Hymn 156. We're going to do this the old-fashioned way. We don't need any instruments at this time, but let's use our vocals. And Brother Dan, you probably have to help me out with this. It's the key of whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 156. Hallelujah. Stand and sing them with us. Hallelujah. And it's kind of funny. He mentioned this. He texted me about it this morning. And I got up singing this song this morning. One of the songs I was singing around the house as we was getting ready to come. So it's a God thing. Amen. God knows how to orchestrate services. Amen. Ready? Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story. 
Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture, burnished on my side. Angels descending, bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I in my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness, washed in his blood. Sing it out loud now. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Let's give him praise this morning, church. Thank you, Lord, because this is our story, God, and this is our song, God, praising our Savior all all the day long. Amen. Church, that's the blessed assurance that he has promised each one of us. That is the hope. That is the hope that we have. We don't have to worry about, I mean, we can do, and that's what we're doing on Thursday. I mean, on Wednesday night, we're doing a study on prayer, and we're talking about this. In life, you have two options. You either worry or you can pray. You can either worry or you can pray. And what I've learned through my life, what I'm learning more is the more I pray, the less I begin to worry. Yes. It's a choice we all have. Yes. 
That's before us. And so I encourage you, if you've uh, we started talking about this and the Lord's Prayer in particular, about how we can pray, basically, and studies on prayer, and I encourage you to be here for us. But talking about hope, and we're talking about <coughs> this blessed assurance that we have, that no matter how bad things get around me, when I got Jesus, I got hope. I got hope. And when you realize that, I mean, we know this, that the Bible doesn't promise our a life free of pain or difficulties or anything of that sort. The Bible doesn't promise us that. In fact, reality is that we will have trials, we will have tribulations, we will have pain in this life. But that's why we hold on to hope. Amen. That's why we don't give up because in Christ we have hope and this is what I'm beginning to realize more and more in my Christian walk in my walk with the Lord if I can say this that yes life has its ups and downs will always have its ups and downs but the secret the secret to live in a, a successful life in Christ is not avoiding problems, but it's knowing where to turn when you have a problem. Where do we turn when things go south as such? Again, we're looking at this through the Lord's Prayer on Wednesday nights, and I encourage you to be there. But turn with me this morning to a familiar passage, and I know uh, I talked briefly about it two weeks ago. It's Luke chapter 17. It's, uh, it's Luke chapter 17 and verses 11 through uh, 19. Again, it's a familiar story. If you've been born and brought up in the church, you know the story about the ten lepers. And, but as you go through the story, I know I've, I've enjoyed the story because, because of the grace that God shows through it all. Amen. But I want us to, even as we listen, and I want us to challenge, I want this to challenge your hearts and uh, our response and to check or whatever our response towards God and see where we fit in in the story. Verse 11, it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud, loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Title my sermon, the, I guess the lesson, I didn't know how to title it. I said lessons from the ten lepers, I guess. 
And we see right in the beginning of this passage, we see the beginning. The first part tells us about the condition of these 10 men, that they were lepers in biblical times. Of course, leprosy uh, was a, a big problem. You know, and if you know anything about leprosy, again, it's a concept in America that's foreign to you all. But growing up in India and Sam and Jenu and me, we'll, we see these people all the time. And every Sunday they gather outside the churches. They're out there outside the churches waiting, begging, basically. And as people leave, uh, people drop off some money uh, or whatever. Give them some stuff, food or whatever it is. But leprosy starts, it basically, it starts with a small white patch, basically, on your skin. Just a small white patch that, that slowly becomes uh, deadened or numb as such. And it gets to a point where uh, victims can't feel, even if you poke a, no a needle or something sharp jabs them, they don't feel it really. And uh, there's a book that I would encourage you all to read, one book that I really like. It's called Disappointments with God, or it's retitled as Where is God When It Hurts? It's a, a book by uh, Dr. Paul Brand and uh, Philip Yancey. Uh, it's a great book. And he actually talks, he, it's funny because he tells a story about how he worked. He was a doctor who worked with leprosy, I mean, these people with leprosy. And how one day he realized that there was a, a what do you call this, this tax, you know, like a thumbtack sticking in his hand. And he realized that he couldn't feel it. And all of a sudden he freaks out because he's been working with lepers for so many years. And he suddenly freaks out thinking that... Uh, he, con he contracted the disease too. And he's so distraught. He goes to bed. Anyway, he can't sleep. First thing in the morning, he goes and takes the pin and jabs himself again. And then he feels it so bad. <laughs> it's, just, it's kind of a funny story there. But he talks about the gift of pain. If you've never read that book, I would encourage you to read that book. Because pain is a gift from God. But anyway, he leprosy is, it, it starts with a small patch. And, uh, and it spreads slowly and uh, it's, it's almost impossible to hide this disease. People do it initially, you know, because they wear these long sleeves and everything. But it catches up with you because the nerve endings essentially deaden, basically. There's no feeling in those nerve endings. And most people can live with leprosy for a long time. But most of the time they die because of complications, because their, their, their immune system kind of goes down with this. And I've worked, uh, I've worked, and most of you, I don't know, I've shared my testimony in some way, but I've worked with uh, lepers for quite a while, actually, in a separate colony for them. And I, one of the most transforming moments in my life, in my walk with God. But you realize when you walk with them, and coming from India, seeing these, you realize that life is hard for these people. Because they're shunned from their families. They're shunned from society itself, and very often they are forced, at least in India, they're forced to live, and I'm sure it was back then too, they're forced to live in its own gated community, what we call a compound actually. You know, they live in a compound with all the other places there. And so they live in their own gated community because they cannot really mix with the normal people, and all they do for, to survive is beg. And so you have these people who are really leprous or uh, have leprosy who've who've been what can you say numb who've become numb to physical pain and you realize that leprosy of the heart is so much 
more prevalent than we give it credit for or that we even notice. Because leprosy in its physical form, basically it forms calluses where they don't have any feeling anymore. And I wonder how callous, I mean, I don't have to wonder, I know how callous people have become when it comes to things of God. I'm talking about the world we live in. Because we all have a disease that came from Adam and Eve. It's called sin. But just as leprosy, the disease, deadens the physical self, I think sin itself and the way we live our lives deadens us in our hearts towards things that concern God. It's crazy how, if I can use this word, and I don't know if it's a real word, desensitized people are to violence, bloodshed. To, I mean, just think about stuff. Desensitized to church, to the word of God. Hardened. And I don't blame them. I'm not saying that just, they're just a product of how they've been brought up too. But if you think with me, what was the the main message of all the Old Testament prophets. Yes, they prophesied in terms of future, whatever. But the whole message was come back to God and repent. And sometimes when we read prophecy, we get caught up. And I know a lot of people who get caught up with trying to figure out when, you know, Jesus is going to come again. And they have all this stuff, you know. They get caught up with the numbers and trying to do all these calculations. I know people have spent years doing that. But let's not forget, yes, there's a prophetic yes. But don't forget the main message was a call to repentance. I pray as a church we'll never forget that and get caught up with all the other stuff. It's a call to repentance. That's the central, really one of the central messages of the word of God itself is repentance. The call to repent. I know and we know and I'm not being, I hope I'm not being too a downer, but it's just the truth. It's a fact that godlessness is an epidemic right now. It really is. That's just a fact. But we got the cure right here. How he takes hearts of stone, replaces them with a heart of flesh. It's the cure is right here. Anyway, let's go back to the story. You see, I'm not talking about metaphorically, but here in this condition here, you see that they have leprosy. First point I see about these people is that they realize the need that they have, or they realize their need. These lepers realized their need. They saw their condition, realized they needed something. They needed something to get out of their situation. And what they did is cry out to Jesus. Here's the whole thing. You must admit your need. Or we must admit our need. And cry out to Jesus if you really want a cure. Because again, there are a lot of people who don't see a need for Jesus. Because they, you know, they go to church 
regularly, they pay their dues, they support missionaries. Why do I really need a relationship with Jesus? And please understand the spirit with which I say this, but many people who have grown up in the church their whole lives have either fallen off or fallen behind when it comes to pursuing that relationship with Him. But thank God the encouragement is for us to get back on track and fix our eyes on Him again. The ten men got together. They were not happy Definitely not happy where they were and how they were living. And they get together and they said, hey, we've got to do something about it. We don't want to just give up and just live our lives. Oh, this is our fate, you know. And so they decide to do something and they're honest about it. And they go get up and go to Jesus basically and head towards Jesus. And when they find Jesus, thank God they didn't talk about politics or anything else. They go straight to the matter. Jesus, master, have pity on us. You don't have to, please, you don't have to come to God in prayer and make all these things up to kind of set up the stage and then slip that prayer in. No. I mean, we do that to people. We soften the blow, you know. We prepare them and then we kind of, okay, but can you give me 10 bucks or whatever. We don't have to do that to God. You realize your need. He knows you need something. Just go ask him. As a father, ask him. But you got to recognize your need before before you go to him, we need to realize that these people had a choice to make. These lepers had a choice to make. I mean, they could have easily, well, you know, my, I just got it on my hands. You got it all, I mean, all over your body. So my need is not as bad as yours, you know. I can manage for a little while. We can't do that. They have a problem. They had a problem and they were going to go to Jesus to get help. How many people today live in denial don't want to admit their need because they see and they look around them and they always have a person they are better than. And so why do I need Jesus right now? He needs him. I've had people say to me and, you know, I'm, I'm not so bad. I don't, I've never robbed a bank and, you know, I've never murdered anyone. I, you know, I, I'm, I've not molested kids or whatever and they say I'm better than the hypocrites who go to show up at church why should I go there anyway there is a lack people you know somehow they have this attitude that they don't need God I don't know how how but you know they have this pain and this, this is what uh, not bothers me, but just burdens me more is when they have a problem, they have this pain, and you sit with them and you talk with them and you just suggest, hey, why don't you try church? And then they have this reaction, you know, they roll their eyes or something of that sort. Because they're willing to try anything else. You tell them, like I say, you tell them to walk around the whole Dallas Metroplex, they probably will do it. But you tell them to come, humble themselves and come to God and they're like, oh, come on. going to digress for a minute but please understand this salvation is free salvation is free it is available for everyone but it is only applicable in response to confession it's only res uh, applicable in response to confession recognizing that you have a problem isn't going to make you feel better it's only when you come and fall at Jesus' feet
and call out to him. That's when you will feel better. You must seek him. Before you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've got to come to a point where and say, God, I am. Like he's that song, you know, a wretch basically. Recognizing that and then coming to him and say, hey, have pity on us. Help me, Jesus. Let me encourage you, please don't ever get to a place where you've figured everything out and that you really don't need God anymore in your life. The older, again, the older I get as a Christian, I guess, the more I realize how finite and how limited I really am and how much more I need God. Please don't ever get to a place where you think you don't need God. Don't get so comfortable in your spiritual lives that you fail to acknowledge that if it wasn't for God's grace and his mercy, I wouldn't be where I am today. When is the last time you ever made a prayer, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? I'm not saying that to make you depressed and to beat yourself up with that. But we're always going to be sinners saved by grace. It's not to give you a guilty complex or anything of that sort. But it's just recognizing that if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be where I am today. Second point that I have is the first point is they realize the need. The second point you need to realize is that you matter to God. You matter to Jesus. These lepers called out to Jesus and Jesus answered them. That always gets me whenever you see there's a need and these people call out to Jesus. Jesus stops and answers them. I love that part about the gospel. I love the part about who Jesus is. That it doesn't matter if I feel small and insignificant and I feel like an outcast from society. He still sees me as a person that he died for and I matter to him. I matter to him. You matter to him. Just because you don't have the titles that, you know, all these people write all the degrees at the end of the name. Just because you don't have those 100 degrees. Just because you don't have a big bank account or you live just in your small little corner. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus still cares for you. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself too. Because he cares for you. You matter to him. These lepers went to Christ and shouted out, and he stopped and answered them. He stopped and answers them. Jesus cares, and we talked about this on Wednesday. He's never too busy for us. Thank God he's not on vacation or something. He's never too busy for us. I mean, think about it. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and soon, and soon enough, he's going to be crucified. He's going to save. I mean, he has this, his whole purpose is his big plan, the redemption of all mankind. He could have been so caught up with this big picture that he would have just, you know what I'm saying? He wasn't caught up with that big picture that he didn't have time for these lepers who called out to him. He will always have time because we matter to him. Please don't ever think that you are not important enough to God. Please don't ever think that God answers the prayers of only the spiritually mature people who speak in tongues one hour every day or something, you know? No. Call out to him and he will answer because you matter to him. Number three, the third point that we see here is that the genuineness of their faith was tested. 
It's just a rule that you find in the Bible, not a rule, but you find this in the Bible time and time again. Faith is my favorite topic to speak about. Faith is always tested. God uses tests, if I can say, as one of his favorite tools that God uses to grow our faith or build our faith. Their faith was tested. Because think about it, they've heard about, you know, all the other miracles that Jesus has done so far. And so they come to Jesus, but what does Jesus say? Instead of laying hands on them and praying for them or whatever, you know, all he says is go show yourself to the priest. Now, you know, Leviticus, and I think it's somewhere around 13, 14, somewhere around there with all those laws. It was a big deal to come back if you were going to be accepted back. You had to go show yourself to the priest, and the priest had to declare you clean before you could enter society again. But you realize in that one question, Jesus kind of brings them to a crossroads or a crisis in their faith. Because they could have said, Jesus, why don't you just pray for us or something? Why don't you just lay your hands on us? Why don't you just, you know, spit in that ground and do your thing with the dirt? You know, just do something of that sort. Or just command the leprosy to go. I mean, come on, Jesus. I mean, can't you just touch us with at least something, you know? Say something else. Address our disease. But Jesus tells them, just, you know, just go show yourself. And made me think how many of us, you know, how many of us come to God and have this expectation. Rather, we expect God to act in a certain way that we've already, you know, have in our mind. But he doesn't work that way. And he kind of points us in a different direction. I know I've, I've experienced that in my own life sometimes. But I wonder how many of us and how do we respond when we have this need and we think God is going to come through in this way. He's going to do it. But he kind of shows us a different direction. How do we respond to that? These lepers could have easily said, I mean, why aren't you healing us right now? That's our most important need right now. We get very impatient for God to work for in our lives too sometimes. But instead of saying that, we see that all ten of them head towards wherever, Jerusalem or wherever the priest was. And the Bible says that as they were going, they were healed. As they were going, they were healed. Brings me to my fourth point, which is most often you see this pattern in the Bible. God's power is released when you step out in faith. God's power is released when you step out in faith. And for these lepers, nothing happened till they started walking. And the Bible makes it very clear that nothing happened till they started walking. As they were going. Another translation says, while they were on their way, they were healed. I mean, it's just a powerful lesson and a reminder about faith that we cannot and must not ever forget. That God's power is, is, is released in response to us stepping out in faith. It is released, if I want to say that, when we obey what God tells us to do. It wasn't until they, they stepped out in faith. It wasn't until they obeyed that they experienced the miraculous power of God in their lives. Jesus said something. They obeyed. And that's when it happened. 
They didn't stand there and wait for him. How often do we do that, you know? Jesus, after you heal us, then we'll go show ourselves to the priest. Sometimes we just get so stubborn when it comes to God. We get so, we become like Aiden or Alyssa, sometimes whiny, wanting it right now. Like, hey, go do this and then you'll get your reward. No, but they want it right now. We do that. I know it's funny, but we do that with God too. Unless I see it right now, God, why should I go there? Show me the thing. Do that miracle right now and then I'll go. Give me that message and then confirm and then I'll go. But very often if you see the pattern, it is what? Go, step out in faith and then see God make a way for you. I love the story again about Peter walking in water. It's my favorite story about faith. They're walking on water. I mean, Jesus is walking on water. They start freaking out. And then Jesus tells Peter, you know what? Peter says, if it's really you, tell me to walk or whatever, you know. And then Jesus says, hey, come on over. And you can see picture Peter getting out of the boat and then start walking on water. And I always say this, walking on water was not faith. Walking on water was the miracle. Faith was taking Jesus at his word. Faith was stepping out of the boat, basically. Faith is obeying what God has told you to do. That's when you will see the miracle almost always follows a step of faith. We need to exercise our faith if we want to see God come through for us. Faith is walking. At the end of it all, faith is just walking in obedience to the word of God. This is our response to what God has already done in our lives. We walk in faith according to what the word said. Faith doesn't need any evidence. It simply obeys. This book is full of God's, if I can say, directions. But every single command, though it seems impossible, he will give us the power to fulfill. Our job is simply to obey. One of my favorite quotes for our quotations for faith is faith is coming to the edge of all you can see and feel and, and taking one more step into the darkness, trusting that God will either catch you or teach you how to fly. That's one of my favorite. It's coming to the end of everything you feel, everything that even makes sense sometimes and taking that extra step into the darkness, into the unknown, and then trusting God that he will either catch you before you fall or he'll teach you how to fly. But you got to take that step if you want to see God work in your life. I guess my question is, what are you waiting for in your life when God has already told you to go do it? If you're waiting for something to happen before you go do it, let me say, Seek counsel, seek advice, and then start doing it and see how God comes through for you. Anyway, back to these guys, and I can totally picture them. They're walking back, and all of a sudden, one guy notices, you know, these patches on his skin are gone, and they all just start looking at each other, and they're all excited, and I can picture them just hugging each other or high five. I don't know if they high fived back then, but whatever. You can see them get excited and it brings me to the point like you see their response. You see the response is this. And the Bible makes it evident and Jesus points to this. I don't know what happened to the other nine. But there was only one person who came back to Jesus. I don't know. Perhaps on this journey and there's so many reasons to think about. There's so many reasons that they probably didn't come back to Christ or whatever. 
Maybe they went back to their families first. You know, all of a sudden, or maybe they really ran to the priest first. It doesn't matter. But we know from the story that only one person came back and fell at Jesus' feet. The point is this. This one person, this guy, wasn't just content with the miracle. He was more interested in the miracle worker. And you think about it. He wasn't just satisfied with getting what he wanted from Jesus. He was really interested in pursuing this relationship with God. I mean, the whole act of falling down at a feet, yes, it's an attitude of submission, but it's also an, an attitude of worship too. And that's what this person desired. Ten men were exposed to the power of God, but only one desired a personal relationship with him. Nine others were content to receive the blessing, but only one wanted to come back to the blesser and worship him. God's blessing, the Bible says, Jesus says, it rains on the, you know, the just and the unjust. It does. And you realize that only a few people who've enjoyed God's blessing are even interested in coming to God. I guess the question is, when do you really come to God? When do you really come to Jesus? Is it only when you have that emergency and you have the spiritual 911 that you need to make to God? Or do you come to him already knowing all that he's already done for you and give him thanks? Realize, and we talked about this on Wednesday, God loves, God wants to and loves to bless you. But more than just blessing you, he desires a relationship with you. Number six, express gratitude. Give thanks. Because being thankful is very different from giving thanks. I bet these lepers were all grateful. But only one of them came back to really give thanks or express gratitude. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he said, thank you. And it's really interesting that Luke mentions that this person was a Samaritan. Of course, he's knocking, a, you know, at the Jews who've been, who've been brought up with everything there is to do with the law. Kind of reminds, and the whole point is it reminds us, of us in the church sometimes how much we take God's grace and his blessings and everything else for granted. And forget to give him thanks. It really is a reminder that, you know, we sometimes get so familiar with God that we always look for the big blessings and then we give thanks rather than giving thanks and realizing that every day he shows us grace and mercy. Every day he shows us grace and mercy. Jesus, of course, asked the question, were they not ten who were cleansed? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? I really believe, I mean, if you can picture... Was God, was Jesus mad at them or was he grieved more? I think a bit of both, but I think it grieved him more than he was mad at them. I think one of the things that God detests is ungrateful people. 
Because we always have something else to compare ourselves and we do this all the time. Look at the blessing that this person has and we whine about what we've already got. Gratitude. Gratitude is more than just, I know we say the saying, gratitude is an attitude, but it has to have expression. You've got to learn to give thanks. Acknowledge, it's just acknowledging God, expressing your gratitude to God only reflects and affirms your dependence on Him. We struggle. Please, let us never be caught up with just the blessings and enjoying the blessings without giving thanks to the one who really blessed us. Why did only one come back and one preacher gave these several suggestions and I've, I don't know if I've used this here. He says, one waited to see if the cure was real. One waited to see if the cure, were, I mean, this thing would really last. One waited to see, hey, I'll, uh, one, one said he would see Jesus later and thank him. One decided that he never really had leprosy. One said that it would have gone away anyway after some time. One gave glory to the priest. One said, oh, well, it's Jesus. There's nothing really. He just heals people anyway, so... I don't know. There's so many excuses that you can come up with. But what is our excuse that keeps us from giving thanks to God? Is it, oh, what have you done for me lately? And we have that attitude, really. And we need to be careful. Do we struggle, and I've got to ask this question, do we struggle to honor God when he has already blessed us with so much? When he's already been so gracious and merciful to us already the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end what they are new every morning new every morning and he says great is thy faithfulness O God that ought to be a song when we get up in the morning thank you God the key is giving thanks church not just feeling Grateful, giving thanks, learn to express your gratitude, learn to express your gratitude. And of course, we know the saying, what give thanks in all circumstances. Again, it's in all circumstances. We need to learn to give thanks. Gratitude, again, it's not just limited to an attitude. I mean, gratitude is an attitude, not dependent on the circumstances, but it needs to be expressed at the same time. The last part that I love is right at the end. I think it's the best compliment. Jesus' final words to him were, rise and go. Your faith <coughs> has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And that last word actually comes from the Greek word sozo, which talks about salvation and saved. But the whole idea is wholeness there. Wholeness. It's not just about healing from the disease. It's talking about wholeness. For I believe, and I know the Bible doesn't say this directly, but I really believe that the nine others were healed from their disease, but only one person was really made whole because he learned the secret is a relationship with him. Wholeness. Thank God he didn't strike the others down. That's just his grace and mercy. But if you want to enjoy wholeness in your life, let me tell you, it's found at his feet with an attitude of gratitude. Ten men were cleansed, but only one really became whole. I'm going to end with this. Humility attracts the attention of God. 
Because when you think you figured it all out, there's no room for God to work. Humility attracts the attention of God. Talking about the people who are broken in spirit. That is attractive to God. Brokenness is attractiveness. It is attractive to God. Humility attracts the attention of God. Stepping out in faith releases God's power in a miraculous way. I always learned that gratitude, giving thanks, unlocks the lasting blessings in our life. Lasting blessing of the Lord in our lives. Bow your heads with me real quick. And I don't know about you, but a story like this challenges me because it reminds me. It reminds me, first of all, that without God, I really would be nothing. It reminds me of how much I really need Him in my life. Please understand this part, and most of us know this, but God is interested in meeting that immediate need in your life. He's always interested in that. But let me say, His priority is to make you whole, not just meet your need. Sometimes we struggle. That struggle is real, and I've talked to several people who do they want God to work in that need and prove himself in that, in, that, in that specific situation and they want God to prove himself to them. And God does that because he's gracious. But please understand, God is more interested in you and making you whole. Sometimes he works in ways that we don't expect. When he tells you to do something, step out and do it. Don't wait just for him to meet that need and then I'll... Because that's what, that's what Paul talks about. They, they, the Greeks, they look for a sign basically. Or the Jews look for a sign. Do this and we do this with God. Do this God and then I know you're real. I know I did that as a younger Christian, but, it, but when I stop to reflect on all that he has already done for me, I couldn't help but give him thanks. Church, I want to challenge you this morning again. To fix your eyes on Him again. Fix your eyes on Him again. 
Don't ever allow the world to harden your heart or get callous to the things of God. God, forgive me for the times where I've just... I've assumed in my mind, sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly, God is God, I'm His kid, He owes me this anyway. He's supposed to take care of me anyway. And I've forgotten to give you thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. <coughs> Thank you, God. I just had this stirring in my spirit. I'm sorry if I've, if if you have something else going on. Please feel free to leave, but. have the stirring in my spirit that God wants us, wants us to realize that he is more interested in a relationship, in a real authentic relationship with him. Oh, I go to church, I support missions, I pay my tithes. Yes, that's great stuff. But don't ever confuse that with a what it really means to have a relationship with him.